Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Bible study this morning, Saturday morning at the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And thank you all for joining us. Our moderator today is Thomas from New York. Hello, everybody, and welcome. So for our uh, quote that we're starting out with today, continue steadfast in love and good works. Children of light, you are not children of darkness. Let your light shine. Keep in mind the foundations of Christian science, one God and one Christ. Keep personality out of sight. And Christ, blessed are ye, will seal your apostleship. This glad Easter morning witnesseth a risen Savior, a higher human sense of life and love, which wipes away all tears. With grave clothes laid aside, Christ's truth has come forth from the tomb of the past, clad in immortality. The sepulchers give up their dead. Spirit is saying unto matter, I am not there. Uh, am not within you. Behold, the place where they laid me, but human thought has risen. Mortality's thick gloom is pierced. The stone is rolled away. Death has lost its sting, and the grave its victory. Immortal courage fills the human breast and lights the living way of life. So this is from Miscellaneous Miscellany by Mary Baker Eddy, page 191. Thank you. Yes. <clears throat> She's giving us good counsel in the beginning. Continue steadfast in love and good works. We're the children of light, not of darkness. Keep your light shining. Keep in mind the foundations of Christian science, one God and one Christ. Keep personality out of sight. And then Christ, blessed are ye, will seal your apostleship. It's beautiful. Something to think about each one. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to think about how this applies to ourselves. Any stones that we need to have rolled away? <laughs> Any thick gloom that needs to be pierced? Yeah, any death that needs to lose its sting? Everyone awake? <laughs> and, and well, I copied down. Immortal courage fills the human breast. I really needed that. And life's the living way of life. I have it in my purse. <laughs> yeah. Is my human breast filled with immortal courage? Immortal courage. Or is there a, a little bit or a bunch of mortal fear still there? I like the tomb of the past, too. Yeah. It's dead, it's gone, it's over. Give it to God. 
Good, thank Let you. Go. Yes. Some of the past. I like that immortal courage, the thought of that, because I know when I came here, my idea of meekness was kind of wimpiness. <laughs> but certainly, you know, Jesus was not wimpy as he took his path. Mrs. Eddie was not wimpy as she took her path. And we can't be wimpy as we're doing this. No, thank you. Thank you. That's uh, certainly, I think, a common misconception for a lot of people as to what meekness is. And that's not what meekness is at all. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's nothing wimpy about that. The meek have often expressed the most strength. However, it is the strength of the Lord. It's not human force. That's why they are meek. They have submitted to the divine and then allowed the divine to act through them. And sometimes it comes with a mighty force. They are humble. Yes. Yeah. That's what so, real this is. So are you? <laughs> I, I love what it says about keeping personality out of sight. Um, I've been re-watching The Chosen, and I think in the past, I always um, thought of the apostles as some kind of... Um, I don't know, people without any personality, you know, they just kind of were holy. I think that's what I was brought up with. But to see them portrayed on that film as having each one having, you know, some frailties or some personality traits that they had to overcome that enabled them to recognize the Christ and follow him, it just moved me and gave me such encouragement, you know, that... Um, this is what we're all doing. I don't know if I explained this well, but it just, I felt it, I could really relate to it this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the beauties of that. You can kind of relate to the whole thing. They, it all seems very real, <laughs> which it is very real, and we should relate to it. And this is a very holy time right now. It always is, but today and tomorrow. And let us all be disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning this tremendous lesson of the crucifixion and the, and mainly the resurrection. So we'll grow in grace and understanding. And somewhere Martha Wilcox states, and I don't remember whether she was quoting Mrs. Eddy or whether she was stating this herself, but it, it, it states that to understand that there is no personality is more important than to understand that there is no matter. So this idea of personality and getting out of personality and into individuality, because we all have individual traits and qualities and talents and so forth that, you know, help define our individuality. But we don't have a personality because personalities imply limits, doesn't it? Yes. 
And we don't have limits in truth. We believe we do. And unless we're doing that, we're not really throwing overboard the old man. Right. Thank you. We're not rolling the stone away. Yeah. Yeah, it's putting off the old man for the new, and the old man is the human sense of personality, which does not serve us well. We think perhaps it does, because then you find out it really does not serve you well. You need your divine individuality. There's one other thing that impressed me. It said, with grave clothes laid aside. And I'm thinking about myself. It made me thankful for Christian science because it's enabled me to put aside any impositions that would have been laid on me to keep me inactive in this wonderful truth. Error would like to throw fear and doubt and all those other arguments on us to stop us from doing uh, God's work here. But these, in my view, these are the grave clothes that need to be laid aside. Well, I would love to throw human limitations on you. Tell you that there are things that you can't do or you can only do to a certain extent. To limit your life work. And those beliefs only lead to the belief in death, right? But we're not limited beings. And this is what this is what the resurrection demonstrated. There wasn't anything limited about Jesus. Right. There's nothing limited about you or me. This is and this is this is the freedom that comes with an understanding, even in part of Christian science, because it's the truth about us. And that's why it does heal. Okay, any, anyone else, or should we've got a lot to cover today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do have a lot. And uh, I want to say thank you, thank you Jeremy, for uh, what you said about the meek, because the, the meek are not weak. We're tough, right? And uh, as we go through what uh, Jesus talked through, what Jesus uh, went through, I mean, we'll see that uh, uh, to be a follower, a follower of Jesus, we should be tough. We have to be. And then, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think some, sometimes Christian scientists are trained to be wimps, so, uh, <laughs> but not a playing field. We're, we're, we're trained to be tough. <laughs> well. Well, we are putting away our personality and letting the Christ self shine. That's right. not weak at all. No. Thank you, Florence. Anything, anything other than that is not Christian science. I, I would like to share Carrie in California. She sent me something. Um, she had sent some good things that I will bring out today that she had researched. But she said, I'm sending some very lengthy interpretations from Bible Hub for this week's Bible study. They offer insight into the disciples 
the closest people to Jesus and how they were thinking after spending three years with him. Frankly, it is a little difficult for me to accept that they were so self-absorbed, but there it is. Their understanding of Jesus' teachings changed dramatically after the resurrection, becoming the true disciples of Jesus and all that means. I thank Thomas for this brilliant Bible study for the week before Easter Sunday. And then this, which is perhaps surmises all that we're going to talk about. Mrs. Eddy, I believe, says it in maybe a couple other places as well, but this is in the blue book on page 27. Jesus did not make the demonstration over death, but yielded to it because of the desertion of his disciples. If they had stood by him, we should now be in the millennium. That de demonstration must be made or the world will again be left in darkness. The students must hold up the hands of the way shower. They will say you have no need, but you can see the need. So here we are, and it's a very, very <laughs> sacred, holy time and things that we're going to be discussing. So go ahead, Thomas. Okay, so our topic this week is the Holy Week, and uh, our theme is uh, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. So just what Jeremy said, uh, I didn't think about this beforehand, but this is what Jeremy said, right? So our hearts are not troubled because we're tough. We weren't tough beforehand. We will get tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> that's the thing. No, no room for the weak of heart or, or the shaking knees. I, I so, have a, uh, can I give a yeah. definition of deserter? Uh, deserter. Yes, please. 28 says, a person who forsakes his cause, his post, or his party or friend, particular, particularly a soldier or seaman who quits the service without permission and in violation of his engagement. Wow, thank you. Pretty, pretty sobering. Yes. Okay. So, um, I, 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 uh, um, I'm real excited about this. Uh, I think uh, it's it's fascinating to me on our second question when we start talking about uh, what seems to be some frustrations with the disciples. But before we get into that, um, I think typically with Christian scientists, we don't um, always go through sort of Bible events and things, and so, uh, but we should be grounded in that. So I always kind of think that to be inspired, um, really, we kind of do our. Um, foundation work of um, gathering knowledge and understanding, and um, that helps us with our inspiration. So uh, attached is a timeline of events, so hopefully people have looked at that. If you haven't, uh, you can open that up. Um, now, just to sort of leave this off, um, Holy Week uh, is starting with um, Palm Sunday, but preceding that, what sort of kicks off this whole thing is the resurrection of Lazarus. So Jesus was in Bethany where he resurrected Lazarus, and when everybody heard about that, 
the chief priests and the Pharisees began in earnest plotting to kill Jesus. So after this, he went um, um, back up to the other side of Jordan, which is in a region called Peria, but in a, he went to a village called Ephraim, and he was there for a while, not sure how long, um, but it was getting close to Passover, and people were getting anxious. They thought that Jesus was going to come. They were waiting for him. Um, so six days before the Passover, Jesus left um, the other side of Jordan, and he traveled to Jericho and then Jericho down to Bethany. Um, so there's a number of things that happened there. Um, but when he got to Bethany, um, uh, they, uh, he stayed with Lazarus. Okay. So there he is, um, I think, on a Friday, perhaps. Um, he was in Bethany. And then Saturday, being a Sabbath, they probably didn't do anything. Um, and then we have Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. Um, so this, would someone like to volunteer and walk through what, what the events that happened on Palm Sunday? Well, that is when the woman uh, having an alabaster box brought the ointment. No, not Palm Sunday. That's later, right? That's later. Oh. Yeah, you Jesus, have to, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Shardy. Have well, to have Jesus to entered Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt, a wagon. And on the other side, I had read that all these huge horses are coming with the soldiers. And here he comes humbly with all these people. Who are they looking at? They're not looking at the soldiers. They're looking at the Christ. And he comes in, and they're laying down their clothes their their shawls and their and their palms and they 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 recognize him at that point who he who he really is. Yeah, it was a human popularity, and they were hosanna, yeah. hosanna, and that's why Bruce, you sang that last Sunday, right? Yeah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. You know, this hosanna was a, was a happy shout. It's a question on my mind. How many of those that were shouting Hosanna on Sunday were shouting crucify him on Friday? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I understand the word Hosanna means saved now. Yeah. So it seems to relate to the salvation that Jesus brought. What, what did you say it means? Hosanna? Oh, I understand it means save now. Oh, hmm. that is. Save now. Well, yes, and I think it was a different, uh, the group were just people who loved Jesus. I don't think they were the ones who were shouting crucify. Okay, I take that all back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right. Um, no, the, the supporters were the humble people who recognized and appreciated the Christ and had no, uh, were not threatened by him. Those who yelled crucify him were the deep state, the establishment that was threatened by him. And, and this was the multitude that the Pharisees were afraid of. Right. Yes. Right, right. Those who supported him were the vast majority of the population. Yeah. 
Just, yeah, know. think about this. Uh, you're right. I said the, the multitudes. I mean, uh, uh, when he was up in uh, the wilderness, um, people were expecting him to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. When he traveled back to Bethany, they said that large crowds of people followed him where he uh, taught them and healed them. And then when he uh, makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, for all these crowds of people. Right. And it's uh, praising them. It threatened the establishment. Which yeah. is, is a, you know, always the same old story. Threatens the establishment, the people in power who want to maintain their power at all costs. And, uh, of course, this was... So they, they you know, they... He didn't hold a position of authority in the government. He didn't hold a position of authority in the in the synagogue. So they couldn't strip him of any kind of title or position because he didn't. You know, he he didn't ask for any. His kingdom was not of this world. And I, and I thought it was interesting um, in Luke where. Judas is planning to betray Jesus. He promises the Pharisees to betray him in the absence of the multitude. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. They, so they to give did. a recap on Palm Sunday. So Jesus was in Bethany. He traveled to Bethpage, which is right there at the Mount of Olives. On the way, he asked two of his disciples to go get a donkey and a colt, and then they brought that, and he got on one of them. I've heard different stories, whether it was a donkey or the colt he got on. Um, and then he rode that down uh, the Mount of Olives towards uh, Jerusalem, where everybody was greeting him. Um, on the way, apparently at some point, he wept for Jerusalem. And then when he was in Jerusalem, uh, some Greeks wanted to see him, so um, th- some people have viewed this as showing that uh, uh, Jesus was not just the Messiah for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles, meaning everybody in the world. Um, and then after that, he returned to Bethany. Thank you. All right. Okay. So then uh, the next day is Holy Monday. Uh, the temple cleansing. So uh, Jesus uh, then leaves Bethany and uh, returns to Jerusalem. Um, On the way to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree. And then he went into the temple courts and overturned the uh, money changers' tables. Um, And then he uh, returned to Bethany. Well, this shows that meekness isn't weakness. <laughs> Over through the money changers, there are many examples of Jesus's great strength in confronting error. His rebuke was fearful. His rebuke was fearful, and so why did he curse the fig tree? Had no fruit. Had no fruit. It's very fascinating to me how many of the stories that we have in our lessons are centered around this very short time. <laughs> oh, and it yeah. makes me think of John saying, 
if they had written everything, it would be more books than the world could contain. It's true, really. I mean, just going through this and reading all these citations Tom gave us to read, it was wonderful. So much to be gained from this. I read that it's a metaphor and that the cleansing of the temple is also linked with the, the uh, fig tree. It's a metaphor for if you're not fruitful, ye people, you will wither and go away. And also in the temple, he, was, he wasn't angry at the fig tree. It was a warning. Be fruitful or else. And then he overturned the uh, tables saying, this is a house of prayer. And it was going to become a house of prayer. So if you're not fruitful, this is it. Well, and they were making it a house of materiality. And, uh, and that must be, and that is true today. All these lessons, all these last words to the disciples are lessons for now, today. Because once a church becomes a church of materiality, it needs to be overthrown. It needs to wither. Yeah, and, and eventually it will. Which is, unfortunately, what we have seen in the organization. But if we understand why it's happening the way it's happening, it's a great, wonderful lesson for us, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to keep also out of temptation. Yeah, because, you know, as Christian scientists, we have to learn what's right, what to do, but we also have to learn what not to do. <laughs> And it's good to know the pitfalls of the people that came before us, like question two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we learn from our forefathers' mistakes, we will make progress. Wait, she wants to talk. You want to talk? Okay, hang on. I think she wants to talk. Okay, so um, the next day. So what we're doing for Holy Week, uh, it's running from Palm Sunday through um, Easter Sunday. So... The next day is Holy Tuesday. Um, this, Jesus again left Bethany and returned to Jerusalem. A um, number of interesting things happened today. Now, uh, from the period from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's a lot of debate as to what happened and what, what day and so forth, because it's basically silent about Wednesday. So as we go through this, we're kind of loading up Tuesday, and maybe it all happened on Tuesday. I, I don't really know. But... Um, on, on, the, on the way back to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus gave a lesson on the fig tree, and then they arrived in Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts, and he began teaching. Um, so people questioned about his authority, and he started giving parables. Um, so he did a lot of teaching, a lot of parables that uh, he talked about. Um, and then after teaching in the, and um, actually in responding to the people who, um, uh, like the Pharisees and so forth. He then he then left with the disciples, and they went to the Mount of Olives. Okay, and that's where he talked to the disciples. So, what we have here is part of the day there are temple debates, which is the uh, teaching he was doing and, and and answering questions, and then the next part of the day is what they call the Olivet discourse, which is where he was talking to the disciples, and probably in a more personal way. Um, and he also gave them some more parables. Um, 
And meanwhile, the chief priests and the elders and the high priest uh, continued scheming to kill Jesus. Uh, and then after the um, uh, talking with the disciples on Mount of Olives, um, then they returned to Bethany. Um, and he stayed at the house of Simon the leper, and uh, Lazarus was at this dinner. Now, someone said before that um, when Jesus returned from the wilderness, there was a dinner where he was anointed. Um, you know, there is some confusion on this, so I just want to point this out. So um, it does sometimes look like there are two different dinners, because one says it was six days before Passover, and the other one says it was two days before Passover. But for the most part, people seem to think those are both the same dinners. Um, but that's where he was anointed by a woman, and uh, Judas, and it seems like other disciples were indignant that they were wasting this money on Jesus, and they should be selling it and giving the money to the poor. Um, so that kind of does a recap of Tuesday. Yep, we will get into more. Yep, busy day. All right. Any thoughts about the all of the discourse or the temple debates or the dinner or the free scheming? I did think it was interesting in Luke twenty two four and five. When Judas went to the chief priests, uh, it said he communed with them, and they covenanted to give him money. And I thought that was interesting uh, counterfeits of <laughs> communion and covenant there that they used. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean... Uh, um, are we kind of going through all of these number twos one at a time, Tom? Oh, um, um, no, not necessarily. But um, you, uh, we can just, we'll continue walking through Holy Week. So on Wednesday, it's called Spy or Silent Wednesday. It's called Silent because the Gospels say nothing about it. It's called Spy because, uh, well, we just talked about that Judas agreed to betray Jesus. Then we have Monday, Thursday. Um, Monday refers to the uh, washing of feet and Jesus' command that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's in John 13, verse 35. Um, so this is when the disciples went to Jerusalem, prepared for the Passover in a large room upstairs. And then uh, they had the uh, Last Supper, and then that's where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. Uh, and he tells them one of them will betray them. Um, and then uh, Judas left the dinner, um, and then Jesus gave uh, what they call the farewell discourses, um, and he talked at length to the, um, with the disciples. Then after that, uh, there was the closing of the meal, and uh, that's with the, uh, the bread and the wine. They sang a hymn, and then they uh, left to go to Gethsemane. Somewhere along that way, uh, that's when Jesus tells Peter that he was going to deny him. Um, and then when they got to Gethsemane, which is at the base of Mount of Olives, that's where Jesus went um, up to the Mount of Olives to pray. And uh, he came back a couple times, found everybody was asleep. Um, then the third time he came back, which is getting pretty late in the evening, 
Um, he still found him asleep, and that's when he was arrested. And then after he was arrested, as someone mentioned before about desertion, well, all the disciples deserted Jesus. Um, he was taken to the house of the high priest, and then he was brought before Annas, who was um, high priest, and who was formerly the high priest of the temple. And then he was brought before Caiaphas, who was the current high priest, and he was the son-in-law of Annas, and uh, also a member. Also, they were members of the council there. Um, and then um, towards um, um, daybreak, I guess, that's when Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, so that kind of wraps up Thursday. Any thoughts on Thursday? Well, you're whipping through this pretty fast. But well, <laughs> well, you know, if we go to the questions, we'll spend more time on all of this. I, so okay, I if you'd like to do that, we could do that. So, uh, uh, so question number two. Okay, it's uh, this is a discussion of Jesus and his rebukes or frustrations with the disciples. I sort of thought about this question because as I was reading through about the events of the Holy Week, I, I kept reading about things where um, Jesus seemed to be frustrated with one of the disciples, and I go, huh, why is this? <laughs> and it was more than once. So we don't need to go through all of these, and we'll need to go one by one, but it's really this... Um, this thought about what, what does this mean? These, uh, as someone said earlier, you know, these disciples were with Jesus for three years, and and and, and now he seems seems like some of them just don't get it, um, and he has to keep explaining things to them. Um, so, yes. Well, well, that let's for now we'll go. Yeah, let's just Bruce. You read read it. Read Mark ten. Okay, you have it. Thirty-five to forty-one. We'll take each one. I think we should. Um, okay. They're all very important. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought they were all very important. All right. So the first one is after Jesus left Ephraim on his final journey to Jerusalem, James and John asked to sit at the side of Jesus. Thirty-five, forty-one. Got it. Yeah. Okay, Bruce. Okay. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on thy left, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. <laughs> Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with all. Shall ye be baptized? But to sit on my right hand on my left hand is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. That is such a perfect answer. <laughs> and, and it shows how, as, as Tom was saying, how little they appreciated or understood what the Christ was going to face, what he'd gone through. I mean, they thought, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you watch someone who's a great 
someone who could ice skate or something. They're doing all these things and, oh, yeah, I can do that. And you get out there and you fall on your face. So that's <laughs> maybe not the best example, but they had no appreciation or understanding of what it took to do it. And that's so often the case until you do it yourself. And you can be very critical and think you can do something better than someone else will. That's why I always say just you try walking in their shoes and doing what they're doing before you're critical of what they are doing or what they have done. Or before you think you can do it. This is a good case of, you know, these guys had seen good teaching. They had seen good healing. They had seen a really good example. Unfortunately, they thought that they had actually learned what they saw, but they hadn't done it yet. And Jesus was warning them, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, he didn't get upset with them. Say, you, you stupid idiots. <laughs> it's really he said, wonderful. I he know. said, well, you've seen me do this. Do you really think that you can do it? Oh, yeah, we can do it. Okay. Then you, you will learn. You will have to do this. He was encouraging them that, you know, that they, they could see what they were going to need to do. They didn't realize that they had a lot yet to do. But he was encouraging them that, yeah, okay, you're going to have to do you're going to have to do more than you even think you're going to have to do. And if you are successful, yeah, you will sit on my right hand and on my left. But, but if he, you're not but successful. He is, but he is not the one that can say that. Only God can promote a person to that. Exactly. He humbly submitted to that. He said, I can't. That's not for me to say. There's only one who can say it. And, if, and you have to be prepared for it. And that is so true. No one can promote themselves or no one, no person can even promote someone else. God does the promoting. You will just find yourself in positions as God promotes. But you can't strive for it or think that's your goal because it's just, that's just not how it works. And th this is a very, very important point for everybody to know. And especially people in a church where, you know, we don't have it. Thank God we don't have it. But it used to be, Mrs. Evans would talk about it. People would want to be first readers or people would, um, you know, even advertise that they wanted this or that or the next thing. Not how it works. They, they may they want it, but they don't know the heat that's be going to have. That's what I think that's when Jesus it. says that about, yeah, you're going to you're gonna find out what's involved with this pretty soon. <laughs> it also shows, you know, seeing everything on the human level, really. Like, oh, uh, you know, it's a good thing. How, how wonderful to be a first reader. I know in my own church, before I, I came here, it was a lot of discussion and groups in, thinking, oh, well, who are we going to elect and all those things. It's all, you know, I, I feel it's ignorance of what a, a divine experience all that is. It's just taken down like a human competitiveness to get to somewhere, and that's not what it is. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. If it, if you're really doing it correctly, any of these things, any positions in the church, you're, you're taking up the cross. Yes. And this I remember the- several years ago, there was someone in the church who uh, thought that they were going to be a practitioner. They went and got themselves a, a big desk and put it in a section of their living room, and they were going to set up their practice, yada, yada, yada. And then... A couple of weeks later, they were gone <laughs> because yeah. they they didn't handle personality and animal magnetism. It was all ego. Mrs. Evans would often say, and I think of this as well, you don't get into the practice. The practice gets into you. Remember this. Because and, and, we've had people who have come here saying they want to be in the practice or they want to be delisted, and I go, uh-oh. <laughs> that, is, that is not what you request. <laughs> You don't get into the practice. The practice gets into you. You can tell who's getting there, who's going to be prepared for it. You can tell by their testimonies, their answers, what they're doing, their dedication, their meekness. And also what will happen is people will start coming to you or to whoever the person God is preparing and and saying, can you help me? I need help with this. Um, it will get into you. You will attract people to your door. That is how God promotes you to any of this. And if you think you want it or you aspire to it, it shows you're in the human mind and it's not going to happen. At least not here. It's not going to happen. It's very interesting because these, um, I told you, Carrie had sent me some things she found in Bible Hub. This was McLaren's expositions, but it says how lonely Jesus was. While he stood before the twelve, absorbed in thoughts of the cross to which he was pressing, they, as they followed, amazed and afraid, were thinking not of what he would suffer, but of what they might gain. He saw the cross. They understood little of it, but supposed that somehow it it would bring in the kingdom, and they dimly saw thrones for themselves. I mean, honestly, and and then it says 12 unsympathetic and self-seeking lagging behind a squabble about preeminence. It is. And I looked up that word preeminence. The fact of surpassing all others, superiority. This is what destroys churches. This is what, when Mrs. Evans was here, she was healing, she was raising the dead, doing all sorts of healing work, and there was another practitioner here who was not. And I was actually working with that practitioner at that time. But everybody started calling Mrs. Evans. Now, we know here, the practitioners here know that God has plenty of people. (laughs) Mrs. Evans taught us this too. There are plenty of people for everybody, and you attract those who you can heal and bless. That's how you pray. So anyway, this idea of competitiveness, it doesn't exist. It should not exist in a good church. But this got started, and the practitioner that wasn't healing got jealous of Mrs. Evans, and then all of this started in. Somebody trying to be better than someone else. Superiority. There should never be, because with superiority is inferiority. It's a human mind, and it should be thrown out of the temple. 
It's the money changers that have to go. It's not, it's verboten here. You, everyone has their own vineyards, their own place, their own road to hoe. We all mind our own rows and we don't be trying to be somebody else or be jealous of someone else or compete with anybody else. Mrs. Evans was just doing her job. She was working. The other practitioner could have too, but she wasn't. She was in the human mind. So this is something that everybody in life has to be aware of and everyone certainly in a church because it destroys churches. It's partly this teaching was not given in, in churches. They don't know how to handle the animal magnetism. So churches fell and they are falling and they will continue until these lessons are taught. That's why this brilliance of this Bible study, it's so important. This is how to handle animal magnetism. And I was thinking, too, I'm going to tell a story that I believe applies to this. When I was a young child growing up in Plainfield, there was a, and my mother told me about this, there was a, a it was a Russian couple. They were brilliant. Okay, they, they worked for the, you know, putting rockets into space or something. And they had a son who was not brilliant. And that son, his name was Tip. And he, my older brother, befriend, befriended, Friended Tip, and Tip would come to our house. He was a very sweet boy. But my mother, and we weren't in Christian science then, you know, just, well, you know, his parents were so brilliant. This boy wasn't. He was a very sweet boy, but he he needed special help. And I I was a friend of Tip's, too. And for years, I, Gary met him because when we lived in Plainfield, we would sometimes see him walking around on the streets, and he remembered me. But my point being, because later in Christian science, I see so clearly, if you, if you as a Christian scientist believe in a superior brain, a superior anything, superior looks, superior money, superior anything, you will come to the suppositional opposite of lack of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Good. Well, that good, because I see it in science where people, you know, they think they're superior. They think they're superior in Christian science, that they know more than others or in their families. They don't understand this principle. Superiority is, again, it's verboten in Christian science. You can't indulge in it. It's not true because we're all equal in God's sight, right? No superiority, no superiority race, no superiority looks, intelligence, none of it. Because with that, you will get the suppositional opposite. And as a Christian scientist, you should know better. But if no one's ever taught you these things, you wouldn't know better. And I was just thinking about Dear Tip and in the light of Christian science, what that taught me. And why my mother wondered about it in those days long ago before we knew science. So have no pride in anything or no sense of superiority. And these disciples who wanted to sit by Jesus, that's what they were after. And he talked to them, yes, gently and with great love and answered the question. The answer, of course, being it's up to God and in your relationship with God, where you end up sitting. And that is why I am certain 
That is why the estoppel clauses exist in the manual. No person, no organization can promote anybody to any position. Only God can do so. And if a, and a good church recognizes that and operates that way. Lawrence? No, I was just going to say, and that's why your own relationship with God Spend the time to really, it's open to all. I mean, its I didn't know before, but when you know, it's your own relationship with God to spend the time to, to cultivate it, to really let it feel it, know it. And, and that, that's it. Where is the competition? God doesn't, you know, <laughs> favor anybody. In fact, if we think, of, if think like that, then we're really dishonoring God. Thank you. Absolutely, yes. And it is not Christian science, and you will pay a penalty for doing it until you learn your lesson. It's, it has nothing to do with Christian science. And that's, that's why we stay so humble. That's why Mrs. Eddy says in miscellaneous writings, humility is the stepping stone to a higher recognition of deity. Yes. Can't do it otherwise. Period. Yeah. No, impossible. So, everyone equal, and God does the promoting, and Jesus knew this, and he, he knew by the very questions that these people were not ready. They weren't ready. Um, they would, at some point, be prepared, and God would promote them to where they could best do his work. So... Even the fact that in Luke 22, right after he's talking about being betrayed, the very next thing is they're talking about who shall be accounted the greatest. I, I, I was yes. reading that and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I know, I know. This is like, hello. And yet he was so gentle and kind and um, but firm. And I'm sure he was. Well, this happened with Mrs. Eddie right before she passed. That was all who was going to run the church. And the greatest. Absolutely. And, and in order to do it, they changed the manual because it had to be the board. My goodness, who else would do it? Right. And, and they stop with clauses. They didn't make any sense. But they couldn't see beyond the organization. The human ways and means. Shackled by the human sense of everything. Well, yeah, you know, and that's you know when when Judas complained about you know the anointing of Jesus' feet, the guy was stuck on money, 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 wasting all this money hmm. as if it mattered. And Mary was just thinking of the, the, the beauty on the honor, honoring Jesus. Absolutely. He over there talking about money. Yeah. It was his materialism. Yes, this Ellicott's com commentary said um, about that, um, that this was Judas's one talent, right? He was sort of the keeper of the money, and yet given to him according to his ability, and in dealing with it, 
he proved fraudulent and faithless. You can bet he defined himself right. as being financially smart. Yeah. He limited himself by accepting that as a personality. And the lesson to this, God gives us all talents. And if you take your talents and you use it fraudulently, dishonestly, well, you will or fail. selfishly. Selfishly, you will fail in a in a terrible way. But it's not that you didn't weren't given the talent. It was just you didn't use it or used it in a wrong way. Because we're all given talents. Um, talents we should all improve. Yes. Improve meaning use it for God's glory. So. Yes. And it was it was amazing reading about this, the, an alabaster box of very precious ointment. Such preparations, like genuine attar of roses in the modern East, consisting as they did mainly in the essential oils of carefully cultivated flowers, often fetched an almost fabulous price. The fact that Mary had such an urgent, such an ungent by her indicates that the household of Bethany belonged to a comparatively wealthy class and so agrees with the general impression left by the record of John 11. It is probably conjecture, conjecture that a like costly ungent had been used in embalming the body of the brother who had so recently been raised from the dead, that's Lazarus, and that this gave a special point to our Lord's comment on the act. St. Mark adds that she broke or crushed the vessel in order to pour out the ointment. St. John, that she anointed his feet and wiped them with her hair. So this oil was, I mean, hugely valuable. I, what did they say? A whole year's pay or salary, something? Salary. Yeah. Yes. But she was the one who saw the Christ worth, right? Mm -hmm. While the disciples who had walked with him didn't, and especially, especially Judas, but all of them were a little. It, some of the thing, some of the come, um, well, gospels said that they were all complaining. John said it was Judas who complained. Yeah. So much for human familiarity. That's right. So that was another, you know, hugely important lesson. Are you seeing the Christ? And are you truly grateful? Would you give something of such value for it? And she was the one who saw him first risen from the grave. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that at the end it says, that Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, there is a gospel there according is a, to, to Mary. To Mary also. Yeah, there is. But we, our understanding is the Roman church didn't put it in the Bible because, because probably she was a woman. Because she was a woman. How true. The male chauvinist pigs that put together the first Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, really. 
well, we, be- we better learn these lessons. Yeah. <laughs> because the same thing happened in many ways to to again Mrs. Eddy. It were the it was the man at Chestnut Hill, the Adam Dickey, all of them who later who couldn't understand her manual. <laughs> they were the men, and they didn't see her. They th- they thought they were humph humph humph. Um, you know. I Mrs. think it was Carpenter. Doesn't Carpenter talk about um, Peter's denial? And when he um, denies it to the woman, that, that was really male chauvinism that was uh, coming out in his thought, too. Yeah, I, I forgot that. That could very well be. Yeah, I didn't. Trying to impress the female kind of a thing. And then there was a woman on the board trying to be like the men. Right, right. <laughs> and, he not. and they were so proud of her yes. being like that. Mm-hmm. She did, that she agreed with them. That she had the same thought in we're talking about the board during the great litigation. So these. Yeah, these- I think this, this, I'm sorry, this, this is an interesting perspective you're bringing up and that uh, helps sort of uh, get a better appreciation of what happened because we're reading about um, uh, the disciples not understanding Jesus. And then that kind of gives us some insight about all these people who knew Mary Baker Eddy and, and what happened. Why'd they do what they did? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. <clears throat> and and even, you know, here she's pouring oil on the Christ and they ask, what purpose is this waste? And they thought it was a waste that they were doing this. Good night. Yeah. Their spiritual sense was lacking. They didn't feel the love, the respect, the admiration, and the end the understanding that she had gained yeah. by her experience. Or even she was, was coming. She was surpassing them in the understanding of a very key point. And that is, we're here to serve. And those who would be greatest serve the most. You know, um, Judas gives an interesting perspective on this. I read about how uh, uh, Judas might have come from Judea, where most of the disciples from Galilee, and that uh, Judas um, was looking to Jesus as the Messiah who would be like a uh, a human king. So he was looking for like a physical kingdom, and he was going to have an important role in this kingdom and didn't quite understand the spiritual kingdom, let's say. Um, so you might think about this in the Boston organization, this obsession with creating uh, a very controlling, dominant church organization. You know, it's that human kingdom. You know, mm-hmm. it's a bit like Judas. He didn't understand Jesus. He thought it was going to be a human kingdom, and he was going to be an important person in this new kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wanted to be head treasurer. That's <laughs> right. And take all those billions of dollars right. that the organization now has. Whereas Mary. Yeah, I was just going to say that, that Mary Magdalene, I mean, Mary Baker already sort of symbolizes Mary amongst all those men disciples. She was the only woman. And look, look at how she saw the Christ anointing them. Where, where that sort of just came to me that, that she symbolizes Mary Magdalene. 
Mm-hmm. And when some, something that changes your life so much, something so holy deserves selling everything to buy the price, <laughs> the pearl of the price. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Yes. And she had no qualms about pouring that oil on him. It's, it's expensive. It's great worth. So, so this, this is all interesting because it shows the contrast of the divine mind and the human mind. What the divine mind sees, what the human mind doesn't see. So, I don't know, it's 11 now, and we can, you know, Hello? all important. <laughs> it's Ingrid, right? Yes. Hello, yes. Um, just want to thank you all for all your good work. Uh, it's really such a blessing, and especially for that great website. And also, thank you so much for work with the weekly Bible lesson to all the readers, but especially to, I think, Gary, that is the one that reads it the most. You really make such a difference, and I'm just very grateful for that. Is that Gary? You're very welcome. Happy to do it. (laughs) Thank you so much to all of you, and thank you to Jeremy for that amazing website. it's it's just really just expressing gratitude for all your good work. I know it's a lot of work and effort. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ingrid. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. We're going to have to... Uh, yeah, now we've got two ongoing Bible studies. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you next Easter Bible We're going to have to... Go. Well, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you like, I mean, we could do this again next year, but uh, if you like, if you want to continue this, I mean, we can... Uh, on the next Bible study I have, we could continue this discussion. I, I, think, um, I think we should and just push some of these others while we're... Okay. I think yeah. it's worth continuing. Yeah. <laughs> these are very, very important lessons, and those not not usually talked about. Who talks about this? Except Thomas. <laughs> Dear Thomas. <laughs> yeah, thanks for putting together that timeline. Yeah. It was, and everyone can look at that at their leisure and think about it. It was fascinating. These yeah. lessons are just timeless. Thank you so much. Are. Yeah. Thank, yes. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.